I was just sitting down to start looking to to try and find the random book for you when uh, you sent me the message that you found your hard drive. It's like, Paul, okay. Paul had just settled down for a midwinter's nap when along came Dr. Bill and annoyed him with a slap. <laughs> and he said with dismay, I almost picked you a book. I had it in sight. Get out of my face, Dr. Bill. It's a wall. A good night. Back to the bin. I think that's our pre-opening sequence right there. And the car drives. Ah, So now I'm going to be behind on my editing, but I still have plenty of time because uh, I have to work Saturday and now Sunday I'll be out most of the day. Now, did you did you get the email episode? Yes. (laughs) You got the, the revamped one? Yeah. Did you did you go back and listen to the one that you sent? The first one with the squeaky voices? Yeah. I, I, I checked it out for a couple of seconds, and I was like, yeah, goodbye. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, I've listened through to about 27 minutes in, and everything seems fine so far. It's, it's just, with, with, with the bleeping. With the bleeps, it's actually pretty funny, isn't it? <laughs> and then they told me that my bloop, but I was going crazy because when I was trying to go to the bathroom, bloop. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. And then this big bleep. I actually, you know, I mean, and I, I really didn't bleep out the stuff to be funny. I bleeped out the stuff when you were getting a little more graphic, basically. <laughs> yeah, but now it sounds funnier. But it's funny. And then what I did was I actually took the bleeps and I, I, a lot of them I cut them like down to a half or a third because some of them were long. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to make it go too long. I figured if you're listening, it, you know gets kind of irritating if they go too long. Yeah. But 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 I thought it it, it came off as funny the way it was. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I listened oh, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. because where it came back in was uh, I had totally forgot that I had said what I said Buck and Cappy. Yeah, that was that cracked me up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in my mind all day long I keep hearing when Cappy America throws his mighty shield. Oh, it's Tiny Shield. Tiny Shield. <laughs> Tiny Shield. <laughs> Cracking the kneecaps and hit, what, he'll kick you in the shins and crack your kneecaps. And blah, 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 blah. I was like, I, I, don't even, I don't even remember singing that. What the hell? <laughs> I had forgotten all about Cappy America. <laughs> Peter Dinklage is Cappy America. Yeah. <laughs> uh... All right, you want you want to bring us in, or you want me to? <clears throat> Hold on, hairball. One day, one of us is going to pass out doing that. The other one's just going to think they're messing around and not call nine one one for them. Hey, hey, Paul, Paul, you there? You there? Come on, stop messing around. <laughs> Come on, man, it's not funny. How would that work? You know, I pick up my cell phone. Yeah, nine one one. I need. Um, Long Island's nine one one. I got well, a guy. That's He's exactly passed out. You You'd say, you know, I was on the phone with my friend in Long Island. Do you know exactly where he lives? No, he lives in Long Island. <laughs> he lives in Long Island. I don't know. I'm sure. Can't you trace the call? <laughs> I'm sure. If, if like, God forbid, if something like that happened, I'm sure if you, you know, you said in Long Island and gave him my name, they could do a quick search and find out where I live. Yeah, you would hope so. You would hope. Well, let's hope that never happens. Anyway. Dark years are alive with the With the zogs and the zog for a thousand years. It's that time. Oh, God. Now I'm doing Andy Leyland. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> Spataro here. <laughs> Is it I wrong got... that I want that I, I want that to be my new intro? <laughs> hey everybody, Paul here. 
I'm going to try to do a Sean angle, but Sean does I can't really pin anything down on Sean. I can't. Sean, Sean's just got that cool deep voice. It's a, yes, I, he does. I imitate it. Uh, but like he, try, he tries to it, it to imitate you, but then he says it doesn't sound good. But sometimes it does sound good. But uh, but I'm he, talking in circles, which is my he whole. Did, he did all right when he had to introduce real life with uh, Bill Ruff. <laughs> with Doctor Bill. Ah, I like Sean's deadpan delivery. Yes. Yeah, he cracks me up sometimes. So, but we're not here to talk about all the other shows. We're here to talk about comics. And that's what a capital C, I almost said K. Capital C. <laughs> we're, not to, we're not here to talk spelling. <laughs> we're not here to talk spelling. We're here to talk about comics. C- K-O-M-I-X. <laughs> Soviet comics. That's Vodanya. The so, Red Menace is here. Uh, hi, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. Because <laughs> Dr. Bill is never going to say those words. I was getting there. I was getting in, there. In a week or two, you might have gotten there. Heavens to Murgatroyd. I'll get there even. My name is Paul Spataro, the producer. And I am here with my friend, erectile dysfunction expert, Dr. Bill Robinson. Moose and Squirrel. Moose and Squirrel is cure for everything. And this is our first standard format Back to the Bins episode in like three months. Wow. Oof. That's or, true. Or slightly more than that because we had we had what you call X-Men month, then we had Apes month, then we had Assistant Editors month. That's three full months there. Plus we had the email episode and, and we Avengers had the Spotlight. Aven- Avengers Spotlight episode. So we're, we're three months and two weeks removed from our last traditional episode when we last left our heroes and what i just want to say is thank you to all our assistant editors because they really did a bang-up job Mm-hmm. yes it's and just, i hope it, chris's it, it, what's it i i hope chris honeywell's dog hondo uh recovers and everybody else's pets that seem to have issues <laughs> The real negative of having other people do the show is it makes me feel not so special. I'm like, boy, these guys do a good job. I wish I could who, do that. Who needs me when you could have these, you know, all these great hosts on here? Mm, yep. Oh, I don't know why I'm here. Mm. Comic relief, my friend. Comic relief. <laughs> who else is going to sing the sound of music in an Arnold voice? Ah, uh, anybody can do that. I'm just one man. <laughs> Easily just a, replaced. Just a man. I can't I can't can't do it all. <laughs> uh, so tonight we have goodbye. it's <laughs> Tonight we're going back to the mid mid to early seventies for both of us. Yes. We uh we picked some older fare. Which is my era. Well, yeah. uh, I mean, oddly enough, I've read your book. Well, I read it for this. But Mm. I've read your book, but I've never read your book. And I'll explain, I guess, when we get to after the books with that cryptic statement. This would have been – my book would have been in my early days of actually collecting. Mm. Uh, And and – there, there's always a nostalgia factor there, but I. I well, should we I just say think, what? Should we just say what your book is? Uh, yeah, we can. Why no, not? No, no, no. I don't want. No, 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 Here at Quarks, customer satisfaction is our primary concern. I'd say we just found our way into a wormhole. I'm Kira Norris. Lieutenant Commander Worf reporting for duty, sir. You're the best crew any captain ever had. This may be the last time we're all together. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet. One of our most important posts. 
it is quite simply, Commander. The journey you have always been destined to take. Sensors are not functioning. We've lost all contact with the space station. What the hell is happening out there? Shields up. <laughs> Damage report. Battle stations. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Listen to the prophets. A Deep Space Nine Two True Freaks presentation with Sean Engel and Andrew Leyland. And now with 100% more Paul Spataro. And we're back. So, conventional episode. A Marvel, a DC, and who's got the indie? Nobody. Scott's probably out trying to uh, wine and dine clients again. Oh, well, actually, well, you know, we were going to do a three-man show, but all our schedules couldn't get together. I'm not available tomorrow night, so you will have uh, next... Next episode, next time on, on an all new Back to the Vins. Doctor Bill will not be here. Yeah, Doctor Bill will be see, sleeping. Everybody listening to this episode has to wait a week to hear to to hear the next episode. But I will hear it tomorrow night when we record it. Mm, yes, very exciting. So, but that way we can get caught up and have a little backlog in our episodes. <laughs> That's, isn't that why you had to have surgery? <laughs> Well, that well, that oh, oh, wait, Doctor Bill's Stone update. So I stopped by the doctor's office and because I was paying the bill, and I said, "So it's been about three or four weeks that you guys had the results back in for the test." Oh yeah, it's right here. Would you like to visit with the doctor and have him tell you about the composition of the stone? Well, sure. Most definitely a kidney stone. It's most really surely a stone. So they, uh, uh, I said, really? I can just get in and see him right now with no appointment? Yeah, sure. And then I, I was like. He must not be a very good doctor. <laughs> so then think, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, something's not right here. Do I have to pay a copay? Oh, yes. Just give me the results. <laughs> I'm not going to pay 50 bucks. Oh, what a, what yes. a joke that to try to trick you into going into yeah yeah she was you know i'm like just give me the results i'm a pretty i'm a pretty smart guy i'll figure it out myself it says here you was a stone (laughs) you get a whole lot of stones it was a three millimeter stone it was like point zero zero something grams and um it's the most common stone you can get um, and then we looked up, my wife and I looked up different causes. I think I did it to myself with a, <laughs> with all those rocks you've been eating. Well, it might've been due to peanuts. A couple months ago, prior to the stone, I went on like a peanut eating binge. I was trying to do Atkins. So I was trying to stay off of carbs. So I was doing like the proteins and, I was eat. I think I ate in like a couple weeks' time, like three or four jars of peanuts, like the big jars of peanuts, and then a lot of meats. Who a lot of peanuts? <laughs> so I might have done it to myself. <laughs> so that's just 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 put it out there, kids. Cautionary don't, tale for all. Don't eat a lot of nuts. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. Doctor. Bill's got nuts, but Paul don't. <laughs> uh, Our stones. Dr. Bill's got stones, but Paul don't. We'll say that. Okay, yeah, that, that sounds better. So, so anyway, on to our books. Well, just one, one more uh, message, because through the magic of time travel, uh, <laughs> as we record this, young Grayson Nehemiah was born today. Congratulations to uh, oh. Charlie and Angie. Yes. Awesome. And, and by the time they hear this, congratulations, young Grayson will be about a month old. Now, is that their first child? No, that it's is, not. Their that first. is their first. <laughs> they won't hear this in a month. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You, do you see, your, your kids are too old. You forget. Uh, although your youngest is younger than my youngest. But when, they, when they're that little, you have plenty of time well, to sit around. They, they nap. Uh, you, that's you know, true. Yeah. You can watch whatever TV shows you want because they're not aware. Yeah, but it's only in three-hour blocks. Yeah, sir. It's usually, you know, 
because I watched uh, with Ben, I watched the entire um, all three movies, Lord of the Rings, um, the extended cuts. I spent a whole day and basically it was like almost in between each movie. He'd wake up, I'd feed him, <laughs> mm. lay him back down on, on the bed and I just sit there and watch watch the watch the next movie. And then, oh, movie's over. Got to feed the kid. Yeah, I remember when Matthew was a baby, sitting down and watching a whole season of The Sopranos one day. Mm. Yeah, but Ben was a pain in the butt to feed because he had a he had a cleft palate. He had a hole in the roof of his mouth, mm. so he couldn't suck on a bottle. You had to have a squeeze bottle to shoot the uh, stuff into his. So feed, come on, you know, uh, because if he tried to suck on it, it would just blow out his nose. So it was a very weird thing, but he got it fixed when he was eight months old. They went in and cut the roof of his mouth and pulled the skin over and you know, all these weird things, these medical things that I bring up. Uh, maybe I am a doctor of death. Oh, doctor, sorry. Doctor of comicology. <laughs> doctor of comicology. Oh. So you want to do our books? Sure. Are uh, we going to do the Marvel first? Are we doing a DC first? You're cool. You are the doctor. Oh, hold on. I have a coin. Which would you like, heads or tails? I will take heads. Mm-hmm. My God, it landed on its side. I guess we go home. Good night, everybody. <laughs> and you got heads. You go first. Okay. Well, in that case, I have chosen Amazing Spider-Man number 136. From September of 1974, back when comic books cost 25 cents. Mm. And it sports a cover by John Romita Sr., which shows Spider-Man in an aerial battle with the Green Goblin in the center. Peter Parker and Harry Osborn aggressively squaring off against each other in the foreground. And the uh, cover makes heavy use of yellow and red in it, which I think works to actually very good effect. Uh, This is a favorite of mine. I I don't think it's... An iconic cover. I don't think it's one that everybody knows, but it is one of my personal favorites. Title of our story is called The Green Goblin Lives Again. It's written by Jerry Conway, penciled by Ross Andrew, inked by Frank Giacoya and Dave Hunt, colored by Linda Lessman, lettered by Artie Simic, and edited by Roy Thomas. And our story opens to a splash page of Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson enjoying a nice Sunday together with the symbolic specter of Spider-Man looming over them. They're having ice cream cones and MJ looks like she's wearing a sports bra as they're walking along. Peter, on the other hand, has a heavy leather jacket. So they they definitely have different, you know, I guess Peter gets cold. Uh... They're, they're ready for a quiet evening of lovin' uh, after having ridden some horses in Central Park, taking a boat trip to the Statue of Liberty, and watched a kung fu movie in the Porn District on 42nd Street. <laughs> Mary Jane asks where to go, and Peter suggests his place, where we can only assume that he plans to make sweet love to her. Cue the porn music. But then he follows that up by telling her that he wants to listen to his new Ella Fitzgerald album, Cue the the, the record scratch. Cue the music coming to a screeching halt. Mary Jane worries about Harry since she used to be his uh, F-buddy. And uh, Peter Peter goes to open the apartment door, but Mary Jane snatches the key from him and starts to open it in a women's lib kind of moment. Peter's spider sense tells him that something's wrong and he shoves Mary Jane out of the way of an explosion that is triggered by the opening of the door. Peter checks on the unconscious MJ and concludes that she's okay because, well, her heart is beating and she's breathing. I'm sure she couldn't have brain damage or internal bleeding or broken bones or anything like that. And well, so Peter just, decides... Just What's putting it? his ear... Oh, I thought he was just checking her breast with his ear. <laughs> Sorry. So Peter, Peter decides to uh, rush in and conceal his Spider-Man costume before the police arrive. And he takes it, webs it up, and throws it on the uh, roof across across the uh, driveway, because they'll never see that. Later at the hospital, Peter's allowed into MJ's room because her aunt has already left. Wow, that's love. 
<laughs> Peter has a flashback to the Green Goblin kidnapping Gwen and causing her to fall from the Brooklyn Bridge, resulting in her death. And then the ensuing battle, which ultimately resulted in the Goblin's death. <laughs> Having had this thought, Peter feels the need to check out Norman's Norman Osborne's old hideout and finds it covered with dust. At first, he's convinced that the place has been abandoned. However, in a series of events that I find to be a bit contrived, <clears> he <throat> tests the dust by tasting it. He concludes that it tastes like soap and is fake. Hmm, you know what? I'm not sure this is real. Let me taste it. <laughs> in light of this, he decides to camp out and wait for whoever's been there, who he clearly believes is Harry. After that waiting, like a comfy hammock. Yeah, after waiting hours on a web hammock that should have dissolved after one hour, uh, the Harry Osborne Green Goblin makes a very dramatic entrance. The two of them start to do battle. And it's more even than it should probably be, and I assume that's because Peter's holding back, not wanting to hurt Harry, since Harry doesn't have his father's super strength formula or his intelligence or basically any of his positive attributes other than his cornrows. <laughs> and then uh, eventually Peter lets loose and gets the upper hand pretty easily, but then he succumbs to gas from the goblin glider. Harry's ready to delivered the death shot but has no bullets left so he isn't able to do so and he flies off vowing to destroy Peter either physically or spiritually by revealing his secret identity that's pretty much the end of the story but then there's a postscript where Peter is at the Daily Bugle and he's coming out of J. Jonah Jameson's office where he requested a week leave of absence and was denied as he's leaving, he acts like a total douche to Betty Brandt, who asks what's wrong. Peter says he's had it with people butting, butting into his business. Dick. <laughs> the end. Peter Parker goes alone. <laughs> From rebel. here on in, lady. I'm a rebel. I'm a <laughs> rebel, daddy. <laughs> I got a great idea for a what if for this, for this I I issue. Uh, that's when he goes and points with his finger. And it doesn't shoot. Then he turns and he looks at it at the end of his finger, right at his eye, and he shoots himself <laughs> through the head. Oh! Uh, I love this book. <laughs> I, I wasn't meaning to pick it apart. I just, you know, it's no. Not, well, that, that's what we do, though. A little bit of comedy. And you made a guest appearance on page on the split of the appearance of the Green Goblin when he flies in. Yeah, the double page spread. Right on the on the piece on, on the left. If you could throw a T in that Sparrow. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I'm like Spar. I'm like all it needs is a T. Spataro. That's, that's exactly what I thought. In fact, I was going to actually work that into my synopsis, and I forgot to. Oh, uh, I was like, look, it's Paul. Paul's a <laughs> gas. It, he, he's a clouded gas coming from the glider. I I am often gas. <laughs> And, but but the shot before before he uh, before the Green Goblin comes into the room, that shadow is that like Whistler's mother standing there. I'm I'm thinking that's uh, that's like right out of Psycho. Yeah, no, I'm in. Mrs. Mrs. Bates, and then you turn it around. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's you know sometimes you, you got to read them in the era they came out in and you got to remember at this point the death of Gwen Stacy and the uh, death of Norman Osborn is only like what a year and a half old I think not even quite a year and a half because it's uh, well yeah it's 121 uh, and 122 oh. so it's 15 issues uh, so it was really really you know, it was big for them to bring back the Green Goblin because at the time he really, he was really, really, really dead, and he was never going to come back again. Ever. Little, little did or, we know, thirty years later, he'd come back. But or have kids with Gwen Stacy or and all that. Actually, I guess it didn't even take that long for him to come back. He came back in the nineties, right? So Not about, sure. about twenty years later, give or take a little, about twenty years. But, you know, I mean, 20 years is a long time. So, uh, you know, it, it was thought he was gone. And then to bring back the Green Goblin as Harry, which they did foreshadow over several issues before this. Uh, but it was it was a big event. And uh, I thought it was well handled in here for the most part. I think the dialogue is very clunky. Uh, throughout the issue, It's they're, they're just speaking in exposition over and over and over again. Uh, well, you know. 
It's the era. Yeah, I mean, but, and and I read this, you know, as whatever a uh, well, when did this come out? What was it seventy four? Mm-hmm. So I read this as an eleven year old, and uh, it certainly didn't seem over overly expositional to me then. It didn't bother me at all the dialogue, but you know, just reading it again today for tonight's show, I was thinking, all right, you know, Jerry got a little uh, little heavy handed in some of his uh, some of his writing here. You know, there, were, there were points where he, he didn't need to say the words so much, and and there's also points where the dialogue just sounded a little forced. And probably some of it went over your 11 year old head, especially when Mary Jane seductively licking the ice cream cone mm-hmm. in her sports bra. Yeah, still you do have potential, Mister Parker, if you'd only loosen up and use it. Loosen up, how? I'm a college junior majoring in physics, Mary Jane. I'm as loose as I'll get. Poor Peter Parker. Just doesn't get it. <laughs> well, they were going back to his house. I mean, you know, what, uh, what do you think of the Ross Andrew art? I liked, um, I'm not too familiar with his art, to be honest with you. But he was the Spider-Man artist when I started. Oh, now, the, the, the Death of Gwen Stacy issues, those were by Gil Kane. So he didn't start mm-hmm. regularly you know, much before this, but, uh, but he, he, he had a nice run on Spider-Man and he was, you know, he was the guy, you know, I, I still pined for John Romita senior. Cause as I picked up back, to, back issues, I fell in love with his artwork. Well, what I had mentioned earlier when I said that I had read this, but I had never read it when I was in high school, I was, was when they were coming out with the official Marvel index books to where they would basically have, it was kind of like a Ohatmu for the comics. And at the time, I was buying all the Spider-Mans. And like one issue would have maybe on half a page in very, very fine, tiny print, they would list the, the comic book and a long synopsis of the book. And I had read almost... I mean, up to this era and beyond, I had read the stories, but I'd never seen them. Mm. So that's why I said that I've read the story, but I've never seen this, you know, but I never read this story. So it was, it's interesting now to go back and, and, and read these books and see them for how they were presented instead of just getting the, you know, the storyline saying, you know, Peter and Mary Jane went back and uh, this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And he confronted Norman Osborn, you know, or Harry, blah, blah, blah. Right. So I think I've – well, yeah, maybe I have seen Russ. And, what else has he done was he famous for other than – his name sounds familiar. Like I should know him he, from something he was, else. He was at DC before, uh, before he came to Marvel at this point. Uh, mm. Spider-Man was his primary mm. work. Uh, but I'm going to punch him up in the comic book database while, while, you, while you vamp for a moment. Da, 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 da. Well, anyway, uh, one of the pages that I I like when the door blows up, Karaboom, and it's just like, like half of a page with Peter throwing himself in the brunt of the explosion to project uh, to protect M- Mary Jane. Then we have a two-page ad for Big Jim's. Big Bad Jim. Big Jim's Kung Fu Studio. But, uh, and then getting back, that's a nice shot of the apartment completely trashed because of the explosion. But I think one of the best shots in here, other than the two-page spread where the goblin comes in, is good. But I think the best storytelling page is the flashback of Gwen Stacy's death. and Because it's all told in one big, giant splash. And it's got one... Two, three, four, five, like five, six different shots, not broken up in panels. They're all they all kind of bleed into one another, but it tells the whole breakdown of her kidnapping, her death, the confrontation, and Osborne's death, all on that one page. And for for the time, that's pretty succinct storytelling. Yeah, it, it was it was well done. I'm going to read to you from Ross Andrews' bio from uh, the comic book database. Oh, wait, wait, wait. i got to curl up and put a little blanket on. Okay, go ahead. Pull up an ice block and lend an ear. <laughs> Ross Andrew was an American comic book artist and editor. 
He is best known for his work on The Amazing Spider-Man and Wonder Woman, and for co-creating The Metal, Metal Men with Robert Conagher and The Punisher. His most frequent collaborator was inker Mike Esposito, as the two worked together on various projects over a span of four decades. Working with Esposito, Andrew was the co-founder of his own comic book company, MR Publications, in 1951. I wonder if that was any relation to Mr. Comics. And dipped his hand Hmm. into self-publishing two times after that with companies Mike Ross in 1953 and Clevart Enterprises in 1970. Andrew's first professional comic book work was for the Tarzan newspaper strip in 1948. In the 50s and 60s, he worked on, looks like a lot of war comics, and then started to do some superhero work. Uh, In the early 70s, Andrew left DC. He did a nine-year run on Wonder Woman. It says then he went to, to Marvel and worked on Marvel Feature. Maybe that's where I know him from, from Wonder Woman. And Marvel Team-Up, and then became the regular penciler on Amazing Spider-Man, which at the time was Marvel's highest-selling monthly comic. It was during that run that Andrew and writer Jerry Conway introduced The Punisher, who was conceived as an antagonist of Spider-Man. Although Andrew is credited with designing The Punisher's distinctive costume, Conway has claimed that Andrew worked from design sketches Conway provided. The character has gone on to become a popular star of numerous comic books as well as two movies. He's actually been in three movies. Mm. And it says here he passed away in 1993. Oh. So that is Ross Andrew. Your, that is your Ross Andrew moment. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been the Russ Andrew moment. Please come back next week as we will have the insert name here moment. <laughs> that, that'll replace uh, real life with Dr. Bill for this week. Yeah. But uh, just, just to uh, complete this a little bit, this story has been reprinted in Marvel Tales number 113 in 1980, Essential Spider-Man volume 6 in 2004, and Spider-Man, Son of the Goblin trade paperback in 2004. Son of a Goblin. Son of a Goblin. Now, I am giving the cover of this book an A. I love this cover, as I said earlier. I'm giving the interior artwork a C+. I think it's pretty good. It captures the moment, the the mood of the, the the time, the book, uh, and but it's just not nothing except for a couple of shots of the goblin. I didn't think there was anything that really, really stood out uh, other than Mary Jane's top. <laughs> and writing-wise, I would have given this a B plus, but I'm taking away a half a point for uh, the expositional dialogue, which I think is a little clunky, so I'm dropping it down to a B. I'm giving the book overall a B. Hmm. Well, I like the cover, but at the same time, it's a cover that... <laughs> at the same time, it's a cover. <laughs> well, well, no. You ever seen a picture of something? Well, I, I don't, I don't want to say... Well, never mind. Uh, well, anyway. You ever see a picture of something that makes you look at it and go, that's looks beautiful, but for some odd reason, there's something, there's something weird in it, but yet it still looks good. And I think... It, Looking at this cover, all right, you've got them fighting above the city, but they're actually above the buildings that are drawn behind them. So the perspective is you're looking above them down to the street level, like the street would be, you know, beneath you. Mm-hmm. But and but Peter and Harry are on what appears to be like a a, a red ground curve. So they're actually at a different viewing level. You see what I'm saying? Yes, that they are at a different viewing level. I mean, it's right. Cl- this, it's clear you have different perspectives. Right, the two You've got images. Two, two perspective. Yes, there's two forced per- perspectives in this image that cre- that it's it's very disjointing. Because at first I thought. 
because I'm looking at them on the ground. And I'm like, what's wrong with the buildings? Why do the buildings look so weird? And I realized because the buildings are referenced to them in the air and not to them on the ground. And it's just a very interesting cover to me. I don't think it's forced perspective. I just think it's two distinct well, not, not, perspectives. Not, yes, together. yeah. Force was not. Yeah, it's two different. Per, it's two different per, perspectives. The, uh, the normally Captain, Captain Marvel see. in last week's Avengers issue that was forced perspective, <laughs> done very badly. Yeah. Whereas this would be an example of something that a a a perspective change that was done good. I mean, it looks weird, but it's still, I like the cover. And for that, I will give the cover a B. Um, inside the art, I like the art. I like uh, certain pages are fa fa fairly decent. I'm going to give it also a B. And the storytelling, little exposition heavy, little dated. There's a lot of dated references in here. A Woody Allen movie, Ella Fitzgerald. You know, that's, but, you know. They don't expect well, the funny thing is Ella Fitzgerald, I think, was meant to be dated even then saying like, yeah. basically what a square Peter is. <laughs> yeah, because she was saying yeah, that's so 1964, <laughs> which is only 10 years earlier Ugh, as opposed yeah. to 40, 49 years earlier. <laughs> yeah. So now it's really that people who what are you talking about? I don't get it. So I, 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 I think I'd have to go with uh, C plus for the rest of the aspects. So it's probably about a B, a B as well. All right. That's, I mean, I thought you were going to disagree, but it's, uh, we both no. have the same Oh, no, no. Ultimately. No. Yeah, it's just, uh, and then it has some good ads in it. So some of the good old time ads where you can buy, you know, the whole, I was one of the task force with the army, you know, with the tanks and the planes and all that. And, oh, that sounds so cool. Probably not as cool as it looked. <laughs> oh, I like the ad for the Robert Crumb T-shirts. Oh yeah, three ninety-five <laughs> each. You got the Mickey Rat shirt, you got the Shazam shirt, the Crazy World Pinball Wizard Pegasus. Then kid, kid and adult sizes from the Natural Trading Company in Hollywood, California. You could also. Uh... Enjoy an exciting romantic look. Impressive anytime. Quick change to suit your mood. T time. Send for mustache sideburns and Van Dyke at once. I'm sure they looked really real. Because even the cartoon figure doesn't look real. <laughs> they couldn't even draw it looking real. How do you think and, it looks in real life? And there was a selection. Of, there was uh, hair colors. Blonde, black, light brown, medium brown, dark brown, gray, silver, auburn. Or send hair sample. Send a hair sample. <laughs> or send a hair sample. <laughs> That's just wonderful. Uh, sideburns, deluxe sideburns. Van Dyke, deluxe Van Dyke. Oh, what do wow. you think is the difference between a regular and a deluxe? The length, the bushiness. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if you wanted to, you know, it was for porn movies or something. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Octong reproduction German helmets. Yeah, I don't think think you'd see that in. Uh, oh, and, and it's offered by Adolphs at twenty six oh seven Hindpin Avenue, uh, so uh, South Minneapolis, Minnesota. A lot of Nazis in Minnesota. And keep in mind, this is only you know, <laughs> much only closer, much closer in time <laughs> to World War Two. Yeah. Be a veterinarian assistant. There's a big horse head in the ad. You get the, <laughs> they, they have the SS symbol. Yeah, they've got the Iron Cross, the SS. Uh, wow. A bunch of other, yeah, a lot of. Uh, mm. That's pretty. Uh, a lot of ads you want to see. Pretty politically incorrect. <laughs> wow, you can buy uh, 15 different triangles for 25 cents. What? <laughs> What, what, what are they made out of? What are they? It's just a triangle. The triangles, what? <laughs> Imported birds for hunting. <laughs> Sorry, no birds of prey native to North America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're going to stuff a bird in a box and send it to me. Okay. I, I think the, uh, the triangles, by the way, are, are stamps. Oh, really? Oh, because it's in that stamp column? Yes. 
Or you, you bought your, them, didn't you? No, no, I did not. Thankfully. Oh, stamp collecting outfit. Yeah. You could have your poem set to music. I could do that. <laughs> then there's the hypnotize with any TV set, and then they kind of show like a uh, woman taking her clothes off. Well, just a, a, something. a woman, you know, cartoon figure of a woman with a short skirt, and she's kind of like stretching uh, like she's tired. Well, like she's like, uh, like a zombie, and she's like, oh, TV. Uh. You got the mail correspond, the correspondence course to become a veterinary assistant. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said with the horse head. Whoa, just, come on and join us. You wonder what kind of money these places made. Interesting <laughs> stuff. Hey, you got anything else on this one? No, no. I think we're pretty good. Uh, but I am going to apply for this mechanical drafting ad. I got to get a new career. As well, you should. Yeah. Well, I guess we're uh, going. We're moving on to our next topic of discussion tonight. What you got? I's got Justice League of America, Volume Number Uno, Number One O Nine, Cover Date. January, February, 1974, and I would have been, oh, and it was on sale October 73, so let's see, I would have been four-ish, four, yes, four-ish. I would have been older than four, younger than five, so four-ish. And, uh, or you would have been four. <laughs> yeah. Because otherwise four-ish would start from the day after your birthday. <laughs> this is true. See, I would be four and a half in December. <laughs> and but anyway, we're getting off topic. Stay on topic. <clears throat> cover price twenty cents, and our cover artist is Nick Cardi. Superman bursts through a doorway and appears to be ready to fall on his butt <laughs> as he blurts out that he heard someone is quitting the Justice League and he wants to know who. As Batman, the Atom, the Elongated Man, Black Canary, Hawkman, and Green Arrow look on. I, I, does does he not look like he's coming through the door, he's got one foot in front of him, the other one back, like he's running, but this Soon other one's straight. Soon you'll be walking through the floor. But it looks Put like walking. he's... Then you, hold on, you gotta get... Then you'll be walking through the door. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> But it looks like he stepped on a banana peel. All you need to do is just draw a banana peel under there. It looks like he's sliding in, into the room. Yeah, he's at a very awkward position. It, yeah, he didn't just walk through the door. It's like he threw himself through the door. Um, so they're all standing there looking at him. What? Uh, the uh, the writer of our tale tonight is Len Wein. The penciler is Dick Dillon. Which, uh, he's one of your and Scott's favorites, isn't he? I like him. Oh, maybe it's Scott. That was oh, interested. no, Scott does not like him. Oh, I didn't seem, seem all right for this tale. Inker Dick Giordano. We got a lot of dicks here. And editor oh. is... We got two dicks and a Schwartz. <laughs> editor is Julius Schwartz. The doom of the divided man. Hawkman stands in shadow as he addresses his fellow leaguers. He and Shira have been recalled to the planet Thanagar, and they will be leaving the League. The assembled group and those listening in on their transmitters are stunned and begin to ask questions. But before they get far, a man holding up the red tornado, and no, that's not a cleaning substance, enters the room and claims that he, Dr. Bruce Gordon, is responsible for Dr. the tornado. Gordon helping the red, red tornado. tornado split in clips. So, any bitch to. Well, I can't. What's up? <laughs> Before the doctor can continue, the Red Tornado is able to recount what transpired. He had been working as Dr. Gordon's lab assistant. The good doctor had been experimenting on controlled light transmission and using himself as a guinea pig. Something went, something went wrong, as these things usually do, and three identical beings emerged from the doc's body, each with a contorted evil mask that of Eclipso. And as I was writing the synopsis, I kept wanting to write Calypso, and then I'm, and then I'm, I've got Calypso music. I've got, you know, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, and then uh, you know the the other Harry Deo, Deo in the back of my head. But I so I don't know. Maybe you'll plug that under this. Red Tornado <laughs> changed out of his guise as John Smith. Yeah, great, great 
name to hide under, and got his robot buttocks handed to him, Dr. Gordon stuns the gathered heroes with the info that he is Eclipso. In a battle on an island in the South Pacific, he had fought a would-be god named Mophir. I guess he's the emo god. And a cut from a black diamond left him cursed to split apart into two beings at each eclipse. He had, <clears throat> he had been experimenting to rid himself of Eclipso, but only made matters worse now that the evil creature has been split into three. Batman, ever the beacon of good news, points out that things are worse. According to the Bat Law of, con of con Conservation of Matter and Energy, the two extra Eclipsos are drawing their energy to exist from the Earth itself. In six hours, if the dupes are not found and destroyed, the planet will tear itself apart! You're tearing me apart! Hawkman decides, Hey! Uh, now is an even better time to leave. See ya! No, 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 no. He agrees to stay and help out with the little time left to him before he must return to Thanagar. The group split up, and Green Arrow asks to team up with Hawkman, which surprises the assemblage. Ollie has a forlorn, broke-back mountain look going on. Our first pairing of the Adam and Black Canary head to an undersea pollution research lab on the ocean floor. Before they can get close to the base, though, Eclipso's goons... I, 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 what did, he get, did he get them from goons or us or something? Uh, they they attack the two heroes. Adam takes out three guys while Black Canary struggles trying to judo chop underwater. <laughs> no sexism here. Aquaman swims to her rescue and says that the chairman, that chairman Batman, no, not Paul Spataro, called him and that they should go on ahead. Adam and Canary head inside and are pinned down and can't get to Eclipso. Luckily, the king of the sea arrives and is able to disarm the fiend via a flying fish and a double-fisted Captain Kirk punch, demonstrating why he is a badass. Uh, Rob Kelly and Shag Matthews can now send me a check. The second JLA task force of Batman and the Flash approach another of the pollution labs, this one in Death Valley. Using the old multiple image of Flash and Batman on a rope gag, the two defeat the revolving Eclipso Death Ray atop the facility. Once inside, Bat takes the leads with, with a light bomb, <laughs> Sorry, that didn't work. Then the goons drop in again. Yeah, it must have been a really good sale on goons. Batman goes Bato Iguno, while the Flash goes for Eclipso. <clears throat> He's foiled numerous times by black lights and force fields until he decides to circle the villain, applying pressure to his force field until it implodes and knocks out the baddie. Two down, one to go. The last group, consisting of Hawkman, Green Arrow, and the Elongated Man, are joined with a battle already in progress. They are all flying around thanks to anti-grav harness little belt buckle things provided by Hawkman. <clears throat> Doing the goon polka for a bit until they can get to the main man himself. Ralph the Elongated Man almost meets his maker as this anti-grav device is taken out. Hawkman goes into a rage and sends sends a, a flock of birds to attack. The flock of seagulls ran as the ever-present uh, thinking Eclipso patented force field pushes them away. It's a standoff. They can't attack Clipsy, and he can't attack them. Ali basically calls him a chicken and outdraws him with an arrow knocking him out. Later, at the Satellite of Justice, the three Eclipsos are gathered, but they fool the League and combine into one giant Eclipso. It's, e it's easily dispatched. It easily dispatched the Justice League and grabs its three diamonds to finish them off. When suddenly, as it fires, the creature is gone, having been reabsorbed into Dr. Gordon's body. Batman, demonstrating why he knows everything, had coated the gems with a special chemical that caused the reversal. And the world breathes a sigh of relief. Epilogue. Hawkman says farewell to the League and points out that Green Arrow was not present to see him off. Black Canary finds Ollie looking out a window at the planet Earth. She tells him he's gone. He replies, I know, Dinah. I know. As what could be a single tear runs down his nose and he whispers, You complete me. The end. <laughs> so, such Next a tale. Time. Oh. <laughs> A tale of forbidden man love in the Justice League. 
like on our second page in, I like how uh, Aquaman, uh, Superman, okay, Superman and Aquaman have their transmitters on their belts. So when they hear this news that Hawkman's going to leave the Justice League, uh, they're like staring down at their crotch like they have kidney stones. (laughs) Oh, my God. What was that? While Green Lantern has one on his chest emblem, look like he's scratching it. Oh, man, it itches. I got to get a belt buckle. It sucks. I got a rash. I got a rash. It's not nearly the mystery that they make it out to be on the cover. No. <laughs> it gets revealed the first page. It's like, oh, okay. Well, that didn't take long. In fact, it really, you know, except for the very beginning and the very end of the story, it isn't even really the focus of the issue. No, no. It's only the first two pages. And, like, the last two pages is what the cover. No, it's not. A, it's, th- it's three pages. There's the epilogue. And two pages in, in the beginning, and that's the only thing that ties to the cover. Everything else is a standard, straight-up, you know, punchy, punchy run run. Which says to me that there was some reason they wanted to get Hawkman off the uh, off of the league. And, uh, you know, the, probably some sort of editorial dictate that they had to get him off. It's like, yeah, all right, I'll just take the story I was going to write and add a couple of pages about uh, Hawkman leaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have an idea, and then we'll make the cover about it, and people think the whole issue is about it. Oh, my God. It's brilliant. Oh, brilliant. Superman come bursting in like he's falling on the floor. Superman is only seen in, like, two panels. He's seen on page two, staring at his crotch, and then he is you know, later. To be fair, if you were Superman, you might do that, too. <laughs> and then he's seen at the end uh, in two panels when uh, Hawkman's leaving. And uh, Black Canary's giving him a smooch. She likes the bird, love. He's got Dick Van Dyke's face in the uh, second panel. Who, Superman? Yeah. (laughs) He's got Dick Van Dyke's chin, that's for sure. But he wouldn't fall over that that ottoman. No. He's too good for that. Yeah. Uh, So what'd you think? What do you think of this one? Um, I've not read a lot of this older of the older Justice League. I think the oldest I read back is some of the uh, whatever. Like there's another. I think in another thirty or forty issues, we'll get some George Perez, or is that in like the one seventies or one fifties? I've read some of those, and then a big gap goes into the uh, the eighties and the nineties. Um, which there's a strange. No, this isn't going to be real life with Dr. Bill. But there was a, a run of the Justice League that I read that any time I listened to the Xanadu soundtrack, and yes, 90125, it was the only, two al- the only two albums I had on cassette tape, and I had a stack of like 20 Justice League books. And I read that and listened to those two albums constantly for about a week. So whenever I see those books or I hear those uh, albums, they, I, I get cross memories of those books. But anyway, I, I digress. I, I thought this was pretty cool. Um, the art was, I guess, not really, I don't want to say detailed. Um, because it's a lot of, well, there's a, being the age of the book, there is a lot of exposition. You know, we get the long drawn out about uh Eclipso's origin, and there's a lot of close-up shots of people's faces. So, I mean, I don't think that really cheats with the. I mean, I guess it's quicker to draw, maybe you know, not having to do a whole body shot, but it does allow for smaller panels and more story. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of a mixed bag on this. Um, uh, but I'm babbling. So, what do you think? Uh, on the artwork. I've come to the thought that I think Dick Dillon was to DC what Don Heck was to Marvel. Mm. Even though uh, Don Heck did do some DC work as well. Uh, Because there's no real shots that stand out, except for... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I I mean, I, I, I see them as being very similar... Uh, I don't think either one is a great artist. In fact, sometimes Don Heck's work 
makes me shake my head a little bit. Uh, but both are very workmanlike. They both are decent on storytelling. Uh, they're both fairly good with anatomy, but you know, just undynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I mean, was... I, overall, I think it's it's good art. It's not excellent art. It's not terrible art. Uh, I'd probably look to give this about a C plus on the art, just a little better than average. Uh, story wise, it's a little convoluted, but uh... yeah, because the whole plot, the multiple eclipsos are going to take over these pollution labs to blackmail the Earth so that he won't pollute the Earth with more pollution. I don't know. It's... Yeah, and then and then the Hawkman thing just seems to be tagged on at the beginning and the end. And what is with the? I guess Ollie really likes Hawkman, but he's afraid to tell him his true feelings. I like Hawkman, and he's leaving. I'm not gonna have any friends. <laughs> I swear, he's been punching out, punching bag on a punching glove on an arrow. I'm telling you, he he looks he looks like he's crying in that last picture there. Yeah, he really does. You know, get over it. All yeah. that. That could be a wrinkle to show his nose. I'm telling you, he looks like the Indian, you know, crying because of the pollution. And, and he's there, but he's there, like with Black Canary, and it's like, yeah, I love you, Diana, but Hawkman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Although I do have to say, on page uh, uh, page ten, that is the most magnificent picture of a flying fish disarming anyone I've ever seen. Okay, it's the only picture I've seen of a flying fish disarming anyone I've ever seen. But it but is, it is the best. <laughs> I had to do a double take. Is that a fish? What? Flying fish! Knock the gem from his hand! Oh, wait, suddenly Aquaman is Sean Connery. <laughs> Let me tell you something, flying fish. Uh, I'm giving the story a C-. minus. And I'm I'm giving the overall issue an average uh, of a C. Yeah, yeah, I it's not yeah. And and, is... and and that's that being said, to me, the definition of C is it's an okay book. Right. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not terrible. It's, it's not, not bad, great. It's it's, not... it's average. Because believe me, I saw some other some some of the other books that I went through trying to pick one tonight. I opened it and went, I don't even want to read this. I <laughs> I don't like the art. And it wasn't an older book. It was a newer book from like 85, just around the crisis era. And it was like one of the oddball DC ones. I think it was Thriller. Um, But I had no idea what was going on. You know, because I was trying to just truly pick a random book that I had found that I had stumbled across. And I'm like, what the? Like, ah, screw this. I'm going with a good old superhero one that I can I can understand. I don't understand these other books. Simple story. <laughs> but, I, I mean, it was all right. It's not It's not bad. It's, you know, I wouldn't read it and be upset that I read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and again, it goes to the days when, you know, comics cost 20 cents. And, you know, I mean, I know even with inflation at all, it would be a lot more than 20 cents. But it probably, even with inflation, would be $2 or less. Yeah. I believe there is some sexism in here. With Black Canary when she's... I can't karate chop underwater. (laughs) I can't do a judo chop underwater. Uh, And meanwhile, Adam takes out three people with a... Using his little air bubble. You know, he he was... Bounced bounced his bubble off their heads and he was doing his... He only weighs 180 pounds, so he was... He was was clicking. He says, I'm clicking my full weight my weight to 180 pounds for the impact for the for the instant of impact okay he took an object the size that you could put in the palm of your hand maybe the size of a golf ball let's say okay mm-hmm. and he allowed it to hit one guy in the back of the two guys in the back of the head and one guy in the face you're striking somebody with a something with the force of 180 pounds in their head he has just killed three people <laughs> I'm sorry. Those guys are dead. <laughs> and he's all worried about, oh, I got to reduce the weight instantly so I don't destroy the helmet. Oh, really? How about you just snapped all their necks? Killer. Only your wife would become psycho later on. You bastard. 
Uh, well, that's all I got for the evening. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. 